Okay, hello everybody. It is now the weekend. Welcome to the show. Normally I do a Wednesday program called the AMA. That's the Ask Me Anything, where I respond to your questions and comments. We go through the material together and have a discussion. But last Wednesday I was unable to do so. However, you guys were just sharing so many awesome things about all kinds of subjects. I thought that it would only be fitting to do one on the weekend. The first um, thing I have to do is to share a couple of announcements. There will be a regularly scheduled Zodiac Mondays, and as well as an AMA next Wednesday and the Anything Goes Friday, everything should be going according to schedule next week to anyone who is listening to these things as they're coming out live. And uh, if you would like to follow along, now's a great time to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. Stay up to date on things about true crime, serial killers, the Zodiac Killer, and anything else under the sun and in the darkness. But there has been somewhat of a problem with Launchpad 1. That's the site that I use to upload the podcast version of this show. You can download the podcast normally and take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. But they are experiencing some technical difficulties with their site. So hopefully soon, within the next couple days or week or so, I'll try to get all the episodes back on launchpad one and then you can download the show for free if you would like to download the video version of this program you can use youtube premium but you have to pay for that you can download the show at launchpad one once again for free under the same name black box online radio there's a link to it in all of the um description boxes of the recent episodes as far as i know you can still download the program now but i'm not i'm unable to upload any new content due to their um their site experiencing these malfunctions, but let's hope that that's up and running in a very, very quick time frame. Before we uh, get to the cover story for today, we had a question from Steve Allen who said, AMA question for Ned. I just listened to the episode where you took some Katie pills and you seemed to really enjoy it. What was your overall experience and would you recommend it? I did an AMA last winter where I tried Katie, which is a legalized version of ecstasy. And I did it on the show, and it's the um, that's a pretty easy title to find here on Black Box Online Radio if you'd like to go back and find the episode the way Steve did. But, yeah, there are four of them that come in a package. It was for $20. I figured I would just give it a try. The first time that I took it, it was an excellent experience. It was very euphoric. The second time was pretty good, but not as intense. The third time, it barely did anything at all. And the fourth time, I ingested the pill, I did everything according to plan the way I had done three previous times. I had forgotten that I had even taken it. And an hour went by, I was like, oh yeah, I guess I took that. It did absolutely nothing. Would I recommend anybody buy that product? Overall, no. Because as as I just um, laid out your system gets used to it very quickly, and it's not worth the money. It'd be great to try one time if you could just, maybe if you're with four friends or something, and it's supposed to be something that is social, and I was doing it while I was recording Black Box Online Radio, and somebody who has a little bit more familiarity with that stuff than I do said, no, no, you don't want to be like sitting down when you're on those things. You want to be listening to techno music or vocal trance, and you want to be getting up and moving around and dancing. If you had three friends with you, sure, I would recommend it. Spending $20 on something that is going to be one good experience and three duds? No, I wouldn't recommend that. And the feature story for today will be covering 
the murder of Riley Crossman from 2019, as well as some of the legal issues that are surrounding that case. However, I would like to get to some of the Zodiac Killer comments that you guys had shared right now, because over the last five days, we had a very large breaking story in the Zodiac Killer mystery, and that is that this group of independent investigators known as the Case Breakers had claimed that they had solved the case, or their exact words were that that the um, identity of the Zodiac Killer had been found, and his name was Gary Francis Post. He was a former house painter and Air Force veteran. And they said they found the guy. They went public with their findings. And the way it was presented was done in somewhat of a clickbait arrangement where they said that um, investigators have identified the Zodiac Killer, investigators have solved the case. Instead of proposing a suspect, they said that the case had been solved. And somebody even brought to my attention in the comments section, great AMA point, that they said it's been solved, not closed. There's a difference between case solved and case closed. I don't even think they have solved the case, to be honest, but yes, indeed, their suspect is Gary Francis Post. And we had a couple comments um, that came in about this. The first one is from Popman, who says, Thanks, Ned. Your thought that this is all just a joke or a prank, a fun idea, be, by the way, got the conspiracy theorist in me wondering if it was intended to be more of a distraction. Perhaps someone, Ned perhaps, is getting too close to the real story and this whole thing was contrived by shadowy type actors to pull attention away from the truth. So, I did an, an episode that was a follow-up to my original Gary Post segment, and I put forward the theory that their evidence seems so flimsy, looking at lines on someone's forehead, talking about comparing a human photo to a cartoon that wasn't made by a forensic artist, and of course the thing that truly set me off, a shadow on a piece of wood and saying it's a silhouette of the composite sketch. I was like, is this real? Is this real? Are these people just having a laugh or are they doing something that is what I called a social experiment where they're saying, hey, let's see if um, the case has been solved. Let's say if we say the case has been solved, will that get a lot of traffic to our website? So I was asking around a lot and I read off Mike Rodelli's response in the previous one. I did get a new um, a new response from Drew Beeson, who says, I don't think it was a prank per se. One of the guys involved with the case breakers is named Colbert. He is a media hound, sloppy research and oversells it. His D.B. Cooper deal was a bust and the team of so-called investigators are all on his payroll. That's why they did what they did with Cooper. This guy Colbert did a documentary on Cooper with the History Channel and the FBI agent and true crime writer Billy Jensen was on the show with him, determined that his suspect was not D.B. Cooper. You almost felt sorry for him at the end of the show. So, I think that you, um, my original hunt that something fishy was in the air doesn't seem completely out of left field, but it also seems like these people may not have the most honest intentions, and that is just, just some guesswork on my part. I have not talked to anybody from the Case Breakers group. Maybe someone has written into the comment section, some people were very angry about responding to Gary Post the way that I did. And on this note, I would like to um, go to some comments that came in from Colonel Rev, who said that, Ned, in your interview with Thomas Henry Horn on the Zodiac Killer channel, he stated at 22 minutes and 30 seconds 
that over a dozen bodies were dumped at that Lake Herman Road site. They just didn't make the papers. I can only bring up so many points in the YouTube comments. Uh, the first one is, I definitely challenged Thomas Henry Horan on that point. I am also the host of the Zodiac Killer Interview with the Experts series, and some of those are out now. There should be a new one coming out very soon, maybe even down to the minute as we speak. If you're listening to this now, you, at the end of the episode, you can check to see if the Zodiac Killer channel has released its latest interview with the Experts video. But in that one with Thomas Henry Horan, I even asked him directly, you said that a dozen bodies were dumped in the Lake Herman Road parking lot. Is that really true? And that was something that I had never heard before. And his response was that they didn't make the papers, and he learned about this from talking to former California detectives. That just, to me, is a he-said-she-said said story. I mean, I don't know which detectives, and it is quite difficult to... um verify somebody else's phone calls without recordings, but um, that was what uh, I was told. So, Colonel Ribb continues, There is also zero evidence about Hal Snook. I'm not knocking you, Ned, but you need to operate on a level playing field. You give Thomas Henry Horn and his suspect Hal Snook multiple choice videos. Arthur Lee Allen was Grace Smith's suspect, but we gave him a lot of exposure. Let's eliminate this post guy also. And I think Colonel Ribb means by that, talk more about the merit as opposed to simply dismissing it and saying that it is ridiculous or it was nonsense. Or as I as I said, it could have been a prank or a social experiment. By the way, that is not acceptable. Absolutely unacceptable in the true crime world. If anybody is going to put forward a suspect and just say, oh yeah, well, let's change the words. Um, in short, let's like tell a half-truth or let's lie about half of our story to see if we can get more attention on our website. Absolutely unacceptable. And the um, my response to this comment here from Colonel Reb is, there is zero evidence about Hal Snook. I don't agree with you there. Ever since the first interview I heard with Thomas Henry Horan, he said that he had two handwriting experts that he had contacted that determined that Hal Snook's handwriting was a match for the Zodiac letters. As far as evidence goes, Thomas Henry Horan is the proponent of the Zodiac hoax theory that there wasn't a single Zodiac killer, but somebody was writing letters taking credit for murders that he didn't commit. He has identified this person as Harold K. Snook, more commonly known as Hal Snook. And, I mean, even if you just look at some of Hal Snook's writing, which I've shared on the channel before, particularly the Lake Berryessa report, you can see that, yes, his handwriting is similar, so that is evidence. I mean, literally zero evidence, as it says in this comment. I don't agree with that, but also, Thomas Horn wouldn't need to have evidence to connect his suspect to the Lake Herman Road crime scene because he doesn't accuse Hal Snook of committing the Lake Herman Road murders or the Blue Rock Springs shooting or even the Lake Berryessa stabbing. So that theory functions in somewhat of a different way. And as far as evidence goes, Evan from Texas did a couple of videos. I can't wait for his next one, to be honest. And he even showed some other similarities with Hal Snook's handwriting compared to the Zodiac letters, like certain lines are elongated, and um, so the certain tactics that are used to disguise the handwriting. I would say there's evidence, maybe not proof, but to stay true to the term, yes, he has presented evidence, and I also said in my follow-up episode that guys like Thomas Horan or ha Howard Davis the, from the Zodiac Manson connection, or anyone who believes in the Zodiac Killer CIA connection, They've done a lot more than that flimsy evidence packet that was put out 
in the Casebreaker's press release, which is mostly just zoning in on certain facial similarities that their suspect had to the composite sketch. And our next comment comes to us from Midnight Story Productions, who says that Ned has turned into Tom Voigt 2.0. Oh no. No. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I will dispute that with you. After they revealed the suspect, Gary Post, Tom Voigt did an interview with Rolling Stone, and he called it, he called that theory, hot garbage. I called it horse crap. Those aren't the same words. No. Hot garbage can mean many different things. Horse crap is mostly one thing. Are they the same? Well, they could be, I guess, but not all the time. Very, very different phrasing. No, but like in all seriousness, Tom Voigt and I do disagree on an enormous amount of things in the Zodiac Killer mystery. But on this particular issue, I think we were in complete agreement that not only did they not solve the case, not only did they not identify the Zodiac Killer, but it was a very bad attempt at putting forward a press release, at putting out an evidence packet saying that, okay, here's a line on his forehead that could be the same as the composite sketch, when in all likelihood that is most probably just a detail that was added in by the artist, so there wasn't a giant blank space there. I was not impressed at all, and other people said very similar things when I read off the statements from Mike Rodelli and Mike Morford and Drew Beeson. They said pretty much the same thing, although they weren't um, using as strong of language, but they're like, almost certainly not. To talk about some points that I disagree with Tom Voigt on, as I said, he mostly thinks very highly of Richard Gajkowski. That's his top suspect. Even to this day, he thinks that Gajk was the Zodiac Killer. And after discussing Gajkowski with Tom Voigt via email last winter, Gajkowski went from about a 5 out of 10 in terms of likelihood of being the Zodiac to a 6 out of 10 in my book. But uh, that's still definitely, definitely not in the top tier. And I had somewhat of a... um awakening to the fact that Geik did seem to be much more familiar with things like math and science. Based on how he was self-taught in computers in the 1980s, he seemed to have a passion for that type of material. I personally believe the Zodiac Killer had a high understanding of something in the math and sciences. I'm not even quite sure. Some people insist that the Zodiac Killer was a chemist. Other people insist that he was a mathematician. I'm just like, something in the math and sciences. Another point where I disagree with Tom Voigt is, he put Sherry Jo Bates as a definite Zodiac Killer victim on his website, ZodiacKiller.com. I have never believed that Sherry Jo Bates was murdered by the Zodiac Killer, and Tom Voigt also entertains many of the other unsolved... Um, I shouldn't have said unsolved. They are unsolved cases, but unconfirmed Zodiac crimes, such as Domingo Edwards and Ray Davis, that those could also have possibly been the Zodiac Killer... I'm taking a much harsher stance and saying, no, I don't think that um, the Zodiac was the perpetrator in those events. But yes, I definitely, definitely agree that um, this Gary Post suspect, and nothing against the real Gary Post, these are some people who are making up stories about him on the internet. The Casebreakers theory was not convincing at all. It was so poorly done that I even question its, its legitimacy that they were uh, making 
making it up, to be honest, that they were saying things that weren't true just for the sake of publicity. And Drew Beeson even said that this guy is known to be a media hound. And um, somebody shared a video with me of uh, Ken Maines, who's on the History Channel Zodiac show, and said these guys also did the same thing with D.B. Cooper, and it didn't work out, and they are just after a little bit of publicity. But that's horribly inappropriate. I mean, you, you want to go after publicity or something? Why don't you paint yourself yellow and run around in your underwear and then get somebody to film it and put it on TikTok? I mean, that's one way to get publicity. Why do you have to lie about it? lie about an unsolved murder mystery for it. Ridiculous. And now I think I need to close the door on Gary Post and move on to another subject. This is one that is much uh, closer to me here in West Virginia, and it is about the murder of Riley Crossman from 2019. I've only done one episode on Riley Crossman in the past, and just to share some things with you guys as a bit of a refresher. In 2019, I was driving through West Virginia, heading to the Berkeley Springs Apple Butter Festival, one of the absolute best times of the year. It was canceled for the last two years because of COVID. But as I was going through all of these little back roads, I noticed that there were all of these signs on the tree that said, Justice for Riley, like on multiple trees, like every 100 meters or so, you would see a sign on a piece of poster board that said, Justice for Riley. And once I got home, I decided to Google that, what is Justice for Riley? And they were talking about the murder of Riley Crossman from Morgan County, West Virginia. And to give us an introduction, there has been um, a breaking development in that story, and it involves a, the perpetrator, Andy McCauley Jr., who was found guilty on all counts in the murder of Riley Crossman. Andy McCauley was... Um, not exactly her stepfather, he was the boyfriend of Riley Crossman's mother. And it's a, this is from WDVM News, localdvm.com. Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. It took a Morgan County jury about four hours to decide that Andrew McCauley Jr. should spend the rest of his life behind bars for the 2019 murder of 15-year-old Riley Crossman of Berkeley Springs. Grand jury issues an indictment in the murder of Riley Crossman. Judge and and law enforcement in this case say that it, they never rested, said Daniel M. Jones, the Morgan County prosecuting attorney. They were working 20, sometimes 24 hours a day, barely getting any sleep. Andy McCauley was the boyfriend of Riley's mother. Crossman's body was found on a roadside a week after she disappeared. And I believe, um, I've been watching some videos, so she was actually found in Berkeley County, West Virginia, near the Tuscarora Creek, um, quite some distance from her home in Morgan County. Police found video surveillance of Macaulay's vehicle near the site of the body, contractor screws by the body from Macaulay's worksite, trash bags at the scene of the corpse from Crossman's worksite, and a drywall compound on the body from Macaulay's truck. I think you can get the idea there. Today, for the first time, the family has gotten a glimpse of the justice they've been wanting in the case. The last two and a half years, they've been waiting for this and were extremely sorry for their loss, James said. The jury convened at Monday, on Monday at 1.30 and by 5 p.m. Within minutes, they advised the judge that Macaulay should be convicted for first-degree murder without mercy, death of a child, by custodian abuse, and concealment of a body. By convicting without mercy, Macaulay is ineligible for parole. This was something that was new to me. They were even talking about this on the local West Virginia news that I was watching uh, Wednesday night 
when they said that um, there is this stipulation because he was convicted for first-degree murder without mercy, therefore he is ineligible for parole. Judge Deborah McLaughlin will formally sentence Macaulay on November 4th of 2021. And I would like to go to some of your comments that came in on the Riley Crossman episode. As I said, I did that one back in the fall of 2019. Bad Influencer says... She texted her boyfriend and said, Andy's in my room. I'm scared. Check out Court TV on YouTube. And I did just that. Um, Court TV has coverage of the Riley Crossman case. I was watching some of that earlier today, pre-recorded, of course. I, I, I've been watching a little bit more Court TV than normal, but during this Riley Crossman episode, I know that Court TV is a news company and they're presenters on television and maybe they want to behave a certain way but they were just smiling and bright-eyed and they're talking about a 15 year old girl being murdered yet they're almost just like giddy they're just like joyful and filled with glee and i was like you guys are being really awkward about this but as far as um she texted her boyfriend and said andy's in my room i'm scared one of the people, one of the investigators, was on the witness stand, and Court TV played a clip of that, and he said that when they discovered Riley Crossman's body, that her shorts and her undergarments had been pulled up in a way that looked definitely, definitely too uncomfortable for a human being to wear. They were way too high up, and Riley Crossman's genital region was also exposed, so that just begs the question in, in numerous directions. But um, we have a comment from Chicago Cubby Girl who says, I'm disappointed that Riley's mom won't be charged. Who brings a drug addict to move in with a young girl then turns a blind eye to the obvious signs of abuse? Now, I don't um, know if Riley's mother, whom I don't know an enormous amount about, but I don't know if she had broken the law simply by bringing her boyfriend into the home. I think in some cases, someone can be found guilty if they uh, turn a blind eye to abuse. Like, if they're witnessing it directly, then the custodian is um, also going to be um, found guilty. And one of the clear cases of this is the murder of Laddie McGee, about how um, a boy was tortured over a period of two months, nonetheless, by the mother's boyfriend, and she turned a blind eye to it, and then she was sent to jail. So I think that they presented this, and I'm purely going off of what I've learned about from Riley Crossman, the way the media talks about Riley Crossman and Andy McCauley, that they view this as something that was unforeseen, or I don't know, I, I, I'm really not sure, but I think only in certain cases that the... Um, the mother would get charged, and I don't believe that she was present at all. Tammy Hackler writes, She was one of my best friends with her. I was in the show choir with her. Hey, I'm so sorry that um, that uh, this happened. And I've um, heard numerous testimonials from people that knew Riley Crossman that have been shared on the, um, on the local media here in West Virginia. Lou Gunn writes, well, I truly appreciate that you posted this as you took an interest in this case and as a radio broadcaster. I strongly encourage you to revise the use of the expression kind of. In your video, you said that someone kind of murdered her. First of all, no one can ever kind of murder anyone. You cannot be an asset, a witness. You can be an asset, you can be a witness, but you can never kind of murder someone. 
And uh, my simple response was, um, was that that was an error. I said, hey, thanks for the comment. This is a, this channel is a work in progress as a, are most of the channels on YouTube. Sometimes when I'm talking in a monologue without a script, the wrong word or expression comes out. No disrespect intended, but always looking to improve. Thank you. And and uh, Lugan responded by saying, Likewise, no disrespect intended to you, and obviously not a put-down. In fact, very contrary to the truth. I was very grateful you posted this, and I was looking up to see if I'd find any updates about Macaulay's trial. This is from quite some time ago, but that was a pure, pure miss um misspeaking on my part i simply uh misspoke and i try to get rid of some of those redundant expressions and this is an unscripted show but i don't ever want to do anything that's going to come across as being dis disrespectful to the victims but lugan went on to share some things saying here are some facts for you which is from the official public record Riley was not in Andy's room, rather Andy was in her room, which according to Riley's boyfriend is when she texted, Andy is here, then I'm afraid, babe. Then the exact quotation would be, Andy is here, and a separate text was, I'm afraid, babe, which is according to the media and the police. When a friend of mine from church, who is Riley's mother, who's a friend of Riley's mother, shared a message in the missing report on may 9th the day after her mother reported her missing the message was posted on our church's facebook and it hit me hard and i couldn't figure out why until i saw a picture of riley i've been going to the galaxy skateland roller skate complex for almost a couple years my memory is pretty bad when it comes to names but amazingly full of all this when it comes to faces i knew i had seen riley before most likely talked to her at the skating rink, but I don't go by assumptions or likelihoods. All I knew was that 18 was missing, and for whatever reason, something in my gut wouldn't rest about it. And I think that's one of, of the major reasons why people focused in on the story of Riley Crossman. As um, you've heard, this was not only mentioned in the local West Virginia news covered on Court TV, nationwide media. And I think it's because there are these clues in the media. There are these clues that have been shared via the text messages. Because after the disappearance of Gabby Petito, I was trying to answer the question, why do certain cases receive an enormous amount of media coverage and other cases do not? And with the murder of Riley Crossman, you have this story of how her boyfriend is receiving these text messages, Andy's in my room, I'm scared. And then... The person who is trying to understand the story gets the question, does that immediately signify his guilt? Does that immediately suggest that Andy McCauley was guilty if she's sending these text messages as saying that she's scared of him and then she ends up dead? But I think the forensics alone absolutely eviscerated him. Finding materials from his truck at the site where her body was found, talking about things like drywall or the screws they said or those um bolts of sorts those things absolutely would have connected him to the crime scene so he definitely would have been guilty of something but a lot of the other print media have been focusing in on something about how andy mccauley couldn't keep his story straight and i mentioned thomas henry horn at the beginning of this episode i have to cite him because he was the one who made the uh, bold claim you can never tell when someone is lying no matter what you may think that you can tell, like, based on their tone of voice or their facial expressions or how they're behaving, you can never tell 
The only way to find out if someone is telling a lie or telling the truth is to compare their narrative to a fact-based narrative. What facts do you know versus the story that they are telling them? And I don't know if you guys ever heard this before, but I um, was listening to some YouTube video. I can't even recall the exact source, but what they said is police officers should be encouraged not to yell at people because when they start yelling at people and trying to catch them off guard, number one, they may accidentally say something that is incriminating them, and number two, they're more likely to give the impression of being guilty of something because they're responding to the hostility of the situation, where, um, whereas if you just compare their narrative to a fact-based narrative, you would actually get answers. Meaning that, um, like, say, for example, the police officer is just doing the normal interrogation and then just starts exploding on the person. They're more likely to either confess to something that they didn't do because they're just kind of stunned or they're caught off guard, or even they're going to give the impression that they're guilty, and then the investigators are going to reroute the investigation using that person as the prime suspect. That is something that is very, very arguable and I know I don't ever think you're going to pass a law that's going to prevent detectives and investigators and any member of law enforcement to stop yelling at people during interrogations. I just thought it was an interesting um, take on the subject. There was a movie that was made a couple years ago called The Interrogation of Michael Crow. They made a, a version of it as a kid, and I think it was remade, but there's definitely a movie out there called The Interrogation of Michael Crow, and it was all about how the interrogators were pressuring a guy to confess to murder, to a murder that he didn't commit. Now, whatever was in their heart or in their minds is almost beside the point. They just relentlessly interrogated him for so many hours that he ended up confessing to something that he didn't do. They're telling him lies like we have, you know, your her blood on your clothes, and that's just um, an example. It's been a while since I've watched that stuff, so please don't quote me on it, but I think you can figure out what I'm sharing with you, that they're telling him these falsehoods, and he just ultimately confessed to a crime that he didn't commit for that exact reason, that um, they were just relentlessly interrogating him, and he wanted to stop, I mean, at, over a multi-hour period. So I do definitely 100% agree that you're not going to figure out what someone is saying based on their tone of voice or like their eye movements even. There is that thing about if you look one way, the brain is um, thinking about something from your imagination. If you look the other way, it's thinking about memory. Maybe that, but I think they're more looking at signs of nervousness. Or you ever heard that thing about if somebody tells a lie, then and they, um, they start smiling. Oh, he's smiling. He must be telling a lie. No absolutely not. Or it can also be a disservice. I mean, some people expect that somebody is going to look you in the eye and then they're going to be telling the truth. Also completely false. Just because someone is nervous or someone starts laughing or someone seems caught off guard, it doesn't have anything to do with telling the truth or telling a lie or not. Lou Gunn has a final comment on the murder of Riley Crossman saying, Black Box Online Radio, I thought I would share this with you. Oftentimes, words cannot convey how we feel. Nevertheless, I sang this to Riley in honor of her memory and re-uploaded it to YouTube. Would love your feedback. And just um, 
kidding, but thanks, you don't have to, but thanks in advance. And there is a link here that um, has been shared by Lou Gunn, so I will uh, do my best to remember to put that in the description box of this video. And there is a tribute to Riley Crossman. So thank you so much, uh, Lou Gunn, for that video. Now, moving on to a different subject, we had a comment from Kelly Gable, who is proposing a new suspect in the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Slayings. The Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Slayings are a set of crimes that happened in the early 1970s that seem somewhat, possibly, maybe in the smallest chance, connected to the Zodiac Killer mystery, and Kelly Gable has proposed a suspect named Thor Christensen. When I first um, read Kelly's comment, I thought Kelly was talking about Bill Christensen, who is, well, an unidentified person who abducted Kelly Gable. In the past, Kelly suggested that Bill Christensen could actually be Donald Lee Booyak, a Zodiac Killer suspect, although Bill Christensen was operating in Canada, in standard Alberta nonetheless, and that led to the murder of Kelly Cook. She left her home to go to a babysitting appointment. The first babysitter had canceled, so this person needed a replacement using the name Bill Christensen, and then Kelly Cook got into his car and was never seen alive again. So, but this is a different person named Thor Christensen, Thor Nies Christensen was born on December 28th of 1957, and he died on March 30th of 1981. He was a Danish-American serial killer from Solvang, California. And I began to um, just read some things very generally about Thor Christensen. And yes, he was a serial killer, and he also targeted hitchhikers. So that is another point in favor of what um, Kelly uh, had shared. And just to give the most basic Wikipedia introduction... Christensen became obsessed with fantasies of shooting women and having sex with their corpses. Well, I don't think I would have been his friend. He stole a twenty-two caliber pistol from a friend and then committed his first three murders, then moved to Oregon, lost weight, and moved back to Santa Barbara County. Oh yes, and there was something about how his weight intensely fluctuated, and at one point he gained an enormous amount of weight after dropping out of high school. He was a pretty good student, but went through a lot of emotional turmoil during his junior year of high school, which I did as well. I can always comprehend that. So he dropped out, got a job at a gas station, and ended up gaining an enormous amount of weight. Secondary sources indicate Christensen's MO was to meet his victims while they were hitchhiking, and then shoot them in the head with a twenty-two caliber pistol, sexually assault them post-mortem. Although several young women had disappeared from Isla Vista in late 1976, Christensen's first confirmed victim was Patricia Marie Laney, who disappeared on January 18th of 1977. So that is something that stood out to me about the Santa Rosa hitchhiker slayings. As I said, they um, happened in the early 1970s, and Robert Graysmith, of all people, tried to connect Arthur Lee Allen to the Santa Rosa hitchhiker slayings. He wrote a lot about this in Zodiac Unmasked. But um, Thor Christensen was born on December 28th of 1957 in Denmark, and um, he passed away on March 30th of 1981 in California at the age of 23. Now, it's not impossible, but he would have been very young at the time of the uh, Santa Rosa hitchhiker slayings.
And the same page says that the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Slangs took place in 72 and 73. If he's born in 1957, we're talking about being 15, 16 years old. All right, I mean, 15 or 16 years old, you may have knowledge of how to drive a car and the ability to drive a car. But there are other suspects in the Santa Rosa case, and I definitely wouldn't um, immediately get on board with this theory. However... Um, a particular reason why the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Slings get connected to the Zodiac Killer case is because of how the victims were found. Some victims were hog-tied, where their feet were tied to their hands, which is quite similar to the Zodiac Killer's activities at Lake Berryessa, tying up Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard. So, I mean, that is, I think, the strongest connection, because if I recall... The Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Slayer moved the bodies of the victims, sometimes as much as a hundred yards. And the Zodiac Killer did almost absolutely nothing like that. And the victims, though, of Thor Christensen were Jacqueline Ann Rook, Marianne Saras, Patricia Marie Laney, and Laura Sue Benjamin. And as I said, he died in 1981. He was stabbed in the exercise yard at Folsom Prison. His killer was not identified, and according to... James Westwick, psychiatrist, had warned that Christensen would be in danger in prison due to the sexual nature of his crimes and his appearance. So they thought that he would have been an easy target, and it seems like he was. So that was the end of Thor Christensen. Um, I suppose anything is possible. I mean, that really did stand out to me that he was a serial killer who targeted hitchhikers and the crimes that he committed that are officially attributed to him are, are several years later in the late 1970s, but did somebody do something in the early 1970s? I wouldn't um, immediately find him guilty in the court of public opinion, but that stood out to me. As far as um, being a challenge, I would want to know more about him, and maybe I can do a full episode on Thor Christensen. Did he move the bodies of the victims? Was there ever any, any evidence of hog-tying him? But that age range, that really is um, also a strike against him, I must say. But thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Zodiac Killer, the murder of Riley Crossman, and the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker slayings. I appreciate it, and you guys are all awesome. As I said, I'll get the episodes back on Launchpad 1 as soon as possible. And you can, you can be one of the thousands of people who has downloaded this show for free using Launchpad 1. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. And you can also go to Amazon.com, get a copy of the book, Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned DeHaan, and visit the Teespring page. Lots of merchandise available, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and remember, being weird is not a crime. Until next time.